the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Go piss free. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand, I am tired, I am weak, I am lost. Precious Lord, and lead me home.
Jesus was walking with his disciples. And they made their way through Samaria. And Jesus stopped and sat down by the well while the disciples went into town to buy the food. They were hungry. When they returned, they found Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman. Let me pick the story up in John, the fourth chapter. Jesus said to them in verse 34, My food is that I may do the will of the one having sent me and may bring his work to its perfect end. Do you not say it is yet four months and the harvest? Look around. I tell you, you must lift up your eyes and carefully look at the fields, for they are white for harvest already. And the one reaping receives a reward and, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both the one sowing and the one reaping may rejoice together. For in this the word is true. One is sowing, another is reaping. I sent you to reap for what you have not labored. Others have labored, but you have entered into their labor. It's very clear from this passage and from the context that Jesus, when he speaks about a field, is not speaking about a wheat or barley field. He's speaking about the Samaritans. He's speaking about men and women who do not yet know about the kingdom of God and have not yet entered into it. They have not even entered into the repentance phase, which is the door that allows them to enter into that kingdom of God. So when the scriptures speak about fruit, when Jesus speaks about fruit, he is literally speaking about the salvation of the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to destroy the work of the devil. What was the work of the devil? It was to capture the human race, to imprison them in sin, and make them utterly unacceptable to a holy and righteous God. Righteousness could not come by the law. And so they come with Jesus, and he says to them, Look, the field is white. It's ready to harvest. Then if you look with me at John, the 15th chapter, that very familiar passage, but let's highlight a couple of things in it that will open the door to what I'm going to say, because what I have for you today is very startling. And welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. With me in studio is Alexandra, my wife. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us today. We're glad you're with us. We have some things to share with you today that are literally forcing Alexandra and myself to walk through a transition in our understanding of how we're to function as Christians. We hope that you'll walk with us through that transition. There was a time on this broadcast where I came and simply called you to repent. Then, some of you complained. 
And you said, Pastor, you seem to have only one sermon. Repent. Then I moved to the next step. And that was entire sanctification. Be made holy. Be made righteous as a free gift from Jesus. And enter into all righteousness, leaving all sin behind. Walking clean before a mighty and holy God. Now, for some of you, that was a real stretch, and some of you were quite upset with me. But historically, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Charles Finney, you go through John Wesley, William and Catherine Booth, founders of the Salvation Army, they all preached a sinless Christian life. Charles Wesley was kicked out of the Anglican Church over his theology. They didn't like what he was teaching. We were likewise kicked out of All Saints Anglican Church because the bishop did not like what we were teaching. They believe in the sinning Christian. But I came strongly against that and have continued to do so because that's what's historic Christian faith. The teaching today that you can walk in your sin and still be saved is a great delusion. It's not the truth. It's also a horrible bondage if you actually want to be free from sin to be told that you can't. And Jesus came to free us from every bondage of Satan. So the good news is today if you are struggling, if you feel like you've never been been able to overcome your sin... The good news is that in Jesus Christ today, he can make you completely free and he'll change your heart so that you don't even want to sin anymore. Now, some of you struggled a lot with that. And then when I moved with my wife, Alexandra, into the third phase, which is the baptism of Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit for power, in the work of the kingdom. Some of you have struggled with me on that issue. But frankly, the New Testament teaches, repent, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Then Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But this is not all about you and me. There's another aspect to this. And this is what the National Prayer Chapel is going through. Now, we're going to survive this only by the grace of Jesus. But we are going to walk through it. In John, the 15th chapter, the Gospel of of John, he writes, I am the vine... This is Jesus speaking as he was walking with the disciples toward the Garden of Gethsemane just before crucifixion. I am the vine, the true one, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me not bearing fruit, he cuts it off. And every branch bearing fruit, he always prunes it. Well, what kind of fruit are we speaking about? He's using the imagery of a grapevine, but he's literally talking about 
bringing lost souls into the kingdom of God. That's what the whole New Testament is all about. Bringing you into salvation, washed, cleansed, living without sin, and then an active part of building the kingdom of God. Read carefully Ephesians, the fourth chapter. He goes on. You are already clean by means of the word that I've spoken to you. You must remain in union with me and I with you. Just as the branch is not able to bear fruit from itself, if it may not remain in the vine, so neither can you, if you may not remain in union with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one remaining in union with me and I with him, this one bears much fruit, because apart from me you are not able to do anything. So many people that I talk to today who say, yes, I'm a Christian, have borne no fruit for the kingdom of God. Are they in danger of being cut off? Yes. Yes. We are called to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. That's what this is all about. Verse 6, if anyone may not remain in union with me, he was thrown out as the branch and was dried up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. The church today is full of dead branches. Self-centered. Self-satisfied. Not wanting to hear the message of repentance and not wanting to hear the message of leaving all of your sin and totally giving everything over into the hand of God. I ask one person, is your wife a Christian? His response was, no, I don't think so. She has idols in her life. Well, idols in the life of a person who says they are Christian means they are not really a Christian. What is an idol? Anything that we put ahead of Jesus. Anything, anyone we put ahead of Jesus is an idol. And so he's saying, if you may remain in union with me, that is utterly everything on the altar, everything given to Jesus, time, energy, money, family, everything, my words may remain in you, and you will ask whatever you may desire, and it will happen for you. By this my Father was glorified that you bear much fruit, and you will prove to be my disciples. So we're called to prove that we're Jesus' disciples. What needs to happen in order for us to be able to do this? Well, let's look again at the book of Acts. Acts of the Apostles, in chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. And while being assembled, this is chapter 1, verse 4, and while being assembled together, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. For John baptized with water, 
but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days after these. Now, if you look with me at verse 8, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit having come upon you, you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the very end of the earth. So the call on our life is to repent, to be made righteous as a free gift of Jesus and have all sin removed from our hearts, and then to be filled with the baptism of Pentecost, the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then we enter into the field of labor for the kingdom of heaven, for the winning of souls to Jesus, of being an ambassador, as the Apostle Paul put it, an ambassador that pleads with people, come, follow Jesus. See, for me, the church is not a business. And I'm deeply saddened by what I see happening in the church today because it seems to be more a business than a body. The church is not designed to be a business. It's designed to be a functioning body with Jesus as the head. Now, this means that I need to have a full understanding but more than that, a meeting with Jesus. I need to meet Jesus Christ. I need to have more than just an intellectual head knowledge about Jesus. I must meet him. Church is not a place of, of entertainment. It's not a place of business. It's not a place of social connections outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus is everything. He's the one we worship and serve. So as we come now to chapter 2 of the book of Acts, verse 1, And while the day of Pentecost is being fulfilled, they were all in one accord at the same place, and suddenly there came out from heaven a noise as the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues parting off as fire and sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled by the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues of a different kind as the Spirit was giving them to speak out. Now in these tongues... They were being understood by all of the people from foreign countries. They were hearing the apostles declare the wonders and glories of God, declaring that Jesus was the Christ. And 3,000 that day after Peter spoke to them became followers of Jesus Christ. There was much fruit on that day. And if you look carefully... By the end of the first year, there were more than 15,000 members in the New Testament church. And by the end of that century, 
the entire then-known world had heard about Jesus, with many turning and repentance, being made righteous, and then entering into the work of the kingdom of God. We have to come back to this. This is the biblical model that has been given to us for how we are to work for Jesus. Now, all of this is governed by love. It's not a matter of going out and asking someone if they will repeat after you certain statements called a sinner's prayer. No, it's a meeting with Jesus where a decision is made that they will lay their life down for Jesus and they will follow him. If you look again in John, the 15th chapter, I'll begin in verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. You must remain in my love. If you may keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the commandments of my Father and remain in his love. Now, what is his command? Verse 12. My command is this, that you may love one another as I loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone may lay down his life in behalf of his friends. So the way the gospel moves is not institutionally. Every person comes to Jesus one at a time. Now, we come with a broad sweep with this radio broadcast, and it's our intention that if you are still walking in sin, that you immediately repent, and that you allow Jesus to come fully into your life. And I tell you right now, some of you have made so many mistakes. I understand. I have too. But I know that Jesus loved me in the midst of my sin, and he reached out to me, and he said to me the same thing he said to the woman caught in adultery. Stop sinning. Why? Because sin hurts us. Sin destroys us. And some of you have been thinking about coming back to Jesus. Please act on that. Come back to Jesus quickly. Begin to read again the Gospels. Begin to pray. Ask Jesus to totally take over your life and begin to guide you. Some of you are still calling yourself Christians, but you're walking in obvious sin. Well, the victory is yours in Jesus if you will surrender to him, if you will follow him and do what he commands. And the natural next step after repentance, after being made righteous, the natural next step is that we quickly turn and ask, Oh, Jesus, baptize me in the power of your Spirit so that I can share my love effectively and your love, Jesus, effectively with other people. I've tried loving so many people and they've rejected 
It's the power of Jesus' love that turns a man or woman to, toward heaven. So at the prayer chapel, we are literally, literally taking the first hour of our worship time to talk about people that Jesus is putting on our heart who need salvation. The second part of the service is intense prayer time and operation of the Spirit gifts as we pray for the full baptism of the Holy Spirit and we pray for people who need to come to Jesus. I'm going to ask Alexandra to actually read for us what we shared on Sunday at the National Prayer Chapel. I'm sorry all of you were not there. I wish you could have been. And I pray that many of you will decide to come and enter into this with us. It is powerful. It is God-ordained. It will totally and utterly change your life and destroy all self-absorption. So let's listen now as Alexandra leads us through this strategic plan for evangelism. So this is rather simple. It's something that you can set up if you have just one other person or you could set it up in a larger group. Uh, as I go through it, you'll see if you're probably going to have more than eight people or so, you'd want to break up into some smaller groups just to make it more manageable. So the, the purpose, you, I've called this strategic personal evangelism or soul winning army. The purpose is to mobilize the church, that is Christians, to fulfill the Great Commission and win souls to Christ. And the way that this happens is by providing spiritual, prayer, emotional, and practical support for Christians as we earnestly seek the salvation of our family, our friends, the poor, the sick, other personal contacts we have. Now this can also be used in your prayers for other Christians who are going through a difficult time. Often when we come to Jesus, especially if we come to Jesus as an adult, we've really messed up our lives because of our bad decisions. So, okay, we come to Jesus and we are forgiven of our sins, but we're still dealing with very painful consequences of those decisions. For example, a horrible custody battle. Part of intercession is not just for the lost, but for Christians. And the main thing we're talking about here is praying for other people and really taking on their burden as if it's your own burden. So Jesus said to love our neighbor as ourself, which means if my neighbor can't pay, my, can't pay their rent, then that's as if I can't pay my rent. And so I take on that burden of prayer for them. And if I have the ability to help them and the Holy Spirit so guides me to do so, then I help them. So if as you go about setting up this group, let's say you have maybe one, let's say you work in a secular workplace and you have one Christian friend who works at that workplace with you and everyone else is a non-Christian. You could set up a group with this person 
This is only about a one hour per week commitment. You could meet more often than that, but you could just say, all right, on Wednesdays, I'm going to go out to lunch with this person and we'll use that time as our meeting. And you can begin to pray for your unconverted coworkers. Now you might also have someone in your church who you really feel uh, like you have the same kind of heart or the same mind as that person. You might want to approach them. It could be someone in your family. Maybe there's just you and one other person in your family who are Christians and you want the rest of your family to come to know Jesus. So the only real requirement here is that you and the other people in your group have to be converted because the purpose of this group is to pray for other people, not to pray for itself. Uh, that you have to be committed to the same purpose. So you don't want to be trying to get people together who are disagreed, where you know maybe one person says, I don't think we should really pray for people to be saved. Okay, well then that's not going to work, right? So you have to have the same agreement. And the last is that you be loving. And you'll see more why that's the case in a moment. I would recommend setting up some guidelines when you first start the group. So for example, there are some kind of hit lists throughout the Bible of sins that will take us to hell, such as lying or fornication. These are sins that if we commit, we are not saved. And I don't mean just a one-time committal, I mean you're still a sinner. Now you might, what I'm saying is to set up a ground rule where if you discover that someone in your group is committing this kind of sin, that you speak to them about it and ask them to change. And if they don't change, then you ask that person to leave the group and you make their conversion a subject of prayer. Now, there's another reason why you might need to ask someone to leave the group, even if they aren't in one of the, what we would say, a gross sin. And that's if they become unloving, hostile, disrespectful, contentious, or if they start to regularly skip meetings, if they're not keeping up what you all agreed to, you might want to just have a conversation with that person and say, look, this is, you know, this is supposed to be a support group and such and such behavior that you're doing is hurting the group. Would you like to change that or would you like to leave the group? So those are the two basic guidelines. Now, all you're simply going to do when you meet with your group the first day is to create each person, have each person <clears throat> have a sheet of paper and create an individual list of names of people who you're seeking to win to Jesus or Christians who you're interceding for. And then come together and make a master list and say, okay, this next week I'm going to reach out to say these three or four people on my individual list and put that on the master list. And then what will happen is throughout the week you will pray for everybody on the list. So instead of just having your own little 
couple people who you're praying for, you're praying for everyone on the list from the whole group. So before that happens though, when you first put together the master list, this is an excellent opportunity to pray together and to talk to each other about how you're going to reach out to these people. So for example, you might be reaching out to someone who's very poor and you might say, okay, this week I want to bring over a meal to this person's house. Or you might say, I don't really know how to reach out to this person. What are your ideas? And so you can get feedback from the group. And you might say, well, I'm going to reach out to this Muslim person this week. I've tried talking to them before, but every time they ask me this question and I don't know how to answer them. And then you can share that with the other people in the group and get some advice, pray about it together. So that way you have a plan and you also have the support of the other people in your group. You're not out there on your own trying to fight your way through, but you're together. You can help each other with ideas, with feedback, with prayer. You might want to ask, when should I speak to this person? You know, maybe someone who works like 70 hours a week. You're like, how am I going to find time to speak to these people? Someone might have an idea. And then you pray together before you, before you end the meeting, make sure you pray together. And when you leave, everyone should have a copy of the master list with the names of the people and an idea of how they're going to reach out to those particular people they've identified. And you should also put together a contact sheet with the names of each person in the group, each Christian in the group, and their phone number or email address. So that way, as you go through the week, let's say it's you, let's say you meet on Wednesday and you're not going to meet again until next Wednesday. And then Friday rolls around and you're saying, I really need to get some more advice from such and such person. Or I've been praying for this other person's person for the somebody that somebody else is trying to reach and I feel like I have a word from the Lord for them. You need to be able to contact each other throughout the week. So make sure at the end of your meeting that you have the master list, the contact sheet, and you, ha you have an idea of how you're going to reach out to the people on your list. And now where this gets exciting is the next week when you meet, you get to share with everybody how it went and get you know, additional feedback. And the goal here is that as you're praying for people who are local, that you become able to invite them, say, to this group. Or you may set up a separate meeting where you want to invite the people as you begin to make some headway. And make it clear when you invite people that you will be praying for them to be converted. And when they come, actually pray that Jesus will come and meet them, that they will be saved, that they will receive the power of the Holy Spirit with the gift of speaking in tongues. And this is really neat because as you go from week to week on this, you might find that the group evolves into different kinds of local outreaches. So for example, this past, just yesterday, I had the great joy and privilege of doing a bra party which I shared on the air and thank you again for those of you who gave it was incredible I just I was so happy the women were thrilled 
I showed them uh, one listener who sent a very large gift. I showed them the letter from the listener and they were just amazed and in wonder because I told them when I first invited them to the bra party, I said, I don't have any money to do this, but I'm praying and I'm trusting Jesus to send the money. So then when I showed them the letter and the money in it, they were just, they had this look of wonder on their face and they were like, you're right. You did say Jesus would send the money. So it was really wonderful. They, they got a lot of things they really needed. We were able to pray together. We had dinner together. And through this, I was able to see more ways in which I can help them, in which they need help. And I expect that this will probably continue to grow with more people coming on board and more things that they need help with. And so what I'm saying is that when you start praying for just one person, those people are connected to other people. And so what you might find is that what started out as you just praying for an individual turns into some kind of bigger outreach like um, like street evangelism or pro-life work, some kind of specific project, because you recognize there's a whole group of people who need that kind of help. And these meetings are kind of organic, right? So you can set up the prayer time however you want. You can have a time at the beginning, in the middle, at the end, where you will allow space for the gifts of the Spirit to operate. By the gifts of the Spirit, I mean a prophetic word, a word of knowledge, tongues and interpretation. You may find that it would be really helpful to start the meeting with maybe 10 or 15 minutes of specific instruction. If you find that the people in the group are kind of struggling in a certain area, or if you find, some, if you just happen to stumble across something that you think would be helpful for everyone. And this is also a time, as you're praying for these people, and as you're finally actually reaching out in practical ways throughout the week to love them, to help them, that you find you need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that these people will actually come to meet Jesus and be converted. And so it's very exciting and liberating because as Jackie Pollinger says, we're devoting our lives to being kind, to loving people, to helping them. And as we do that, and as we pray for them, Jesus will from time to time meet these people and heal them, deliver them in a miraculous way. And then that's the opportunity for them to come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Now, what's so exciting for me about this whole plan that you've just laid out, Alexandra, is that we recognize our desperate need for the Holy Spirit. That saving people from sin is not a human energy process. It's a divine encounter. And so when we become deliberate about praying for someone, and, and by the way, I'm going to press this point. We're not just praying for them. We're then reaching out to them in very specific ways. And some of us have spent way too much time praying for someone's salvation without doing any outreach to them personally that 
tells them how much we love them and how much we care for them. Yes, so for example, let's say that in your neighborhood you have one Christian neighbor and you don't really know who the rest of your neighbors are. Okay, so if I'm going to love my neighbor, then step one is I first have to know my neighbor. Okay, so that would be a good place to start, right? You can go over and introduce yourself. You could bring some muffins or cookies. If you're not into the muffins and cookies, maybe you could do something else for them or just go say hi. And then that way, when you get together with your Christian neighbor to start praying for your neighbors, you have some, how shall I put this? You have something to dig into. You have some fodder to work with, right? And then you can talk about it. You can say, well, let's see, would it be best to reach our neighbors individually? Should I invite, you know, one neighbor at a time over for dinner? Or would it be best to invite them over for some kind of potluck and we can meet them all at the same time? Maybe you want to start off with a potluck, kind of like a meet and greet. And then from there, you can figure out how you'll reach out to people individually. There's many ways to do it. There's not one right or wrong way. It just depends on the people you're working with. And it depends on the direction of the Holy Spirit as you pray. But what this does is set an absolute fire in your heart to make you conscious of the lost. When I say lost, I mean people that you love that if you don't intervene in their life, they are going to go to hell. And you will lose them for eternity. They will be gone for eternity. Now, our salvation is also very connected to this. Let's be very clear. If you don't go out and work in the harvest field, if you don't make any attempt to win anyone to Jesus, if you don't sacrifice time, energy, and money to win another person to Jesus, you are a branch that is no longer connected to the vine. You will be cut off and cast into the fire. It's time to resurrect these dead branches of our lives and get connected to Jesus and begin to let Jesus flow through us in love to other people. It's not a matter of a flow of information to other people. It's a matter of compassion and love flowing out of our heart and our life into other people's lives. To be clear, you should not be reaching out to someone simply because you're afraid of being lost personally. But you should be reaching out to someone because, first of all, you actually go and meet them and you see them. And then by seeing them you start to experience those feelings of compassion, as Jackie Pullinger in her sermon on Friday's broadcast shared. It's seeing produces those feelings of compassion and that in turn produces action. It's very important as you do this that you're not reaching out to people with any strings attached. You know, we're not saying you can come over for dinner, but first you have to listen to me preach. That's not what we're saying. Jesus didn't even do it that way. He fed the people first, and then they were interested and wanted to hear. So Jesus actually met the needs of the people he was ministering to, and then shared the word of life with them, and invited them to follow him. 
So if you're like so many people in America, you go to church on Sunday. Um, Alexandra asked one person, do you have any real friends at the church? The person answered, no. Been there several years. No real friends at the church. Goes in. Hi, everybody. Recognizes faces. How are you? Everything's fine. I'm good. Bye. And a repeat of that next Sunday. That's not church. That's not the way the body of Christ functions. And there are many people in the church who have needs that are not being met. This can be something as simple as needing help writing a resume, needing to learn how to find jobs beyond just going on Craigslist. There's many ways that we can help each other. Or lonely. Lonely. How is it possible for a person to come and sit in the midst of a church of Christians and they're brokenhearted and lonely? They perhaps have lost an uncle or an aunt or a mother or a father, a brother or sister. They're brokenhearted they right in the need, middle of the church. And they just need someone who will listen to them. Someone who will take the time to say, well, let's go take a walk together. Let's go grab a coffee together. To care, to love. This is what the National Prayer Chapel is about. This is who we are. We want revival in Washington, D.C. But we don't want revival of information. We want revival of righteousness and of the power of the Holy Spirit. We want revival that changes our nation one person at a time. You'll recall that in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's by doing these good works for people that God is glorified. I think every church statement of belief I've ever read says they exist to glorify God. Well, that sounds kind of abstract, but it's not abstract to go and walk up to somebody who looks lonely and just be kind to them and listen to them and offer to help them if they need something. That's very practical. It's not abstract when I went, when I took these women to this bra party yesterday and the employee who was helping us, someone I've known for a while, she didn't realize initially that I was actually paying for these women. And so about an hour in, she comes up to me and she says, are you paying for everything that they're getting? I said, yes, we had a radio listener send a rather large donation and then another brother also gave us about $140. And she just said, is there anything I can do to help them? Anything at all? And she was just so touched. I mean, throughout the evening, she just, she said, God bless you for doing this. This is a Muslim woman. She said, God bless you for doing this. This is so kind of you. The women themselves, one woman said, I feel like I'm in a dream. I can't believe this is really happening. Or she said, I feel so blessed. No one has ever taken me out shopping before. In the past 12 years, she had only gone out to eat three times. 
and that was because every time someone took her out. So it was a very big deal to these women that I took them out shopping for things that they really did need that were beautiful, that made them feel, um, have greater dignity, that I was curious about who they were as people, that I prayed with them. They weren't at all offended when I was, it was kind of like I was sharing Jesus the whole time and there was nothing offensive about it because it was in the context of love. Now, it would have been very different if I just went up to one of these women on the street and didn't even take the time to find out their name and I shoved a gospel tract at them. I have done that before and I didn't find it very effective. But Jesus cares very much about helping people. That's part of the kingdom coming on the earth, is that each person is loved, fed, clothed, has a home, can support themselves, is cared for. Can you imagine how amazing Washington, D.C. would be, or how amazing this, this earth would be if every single person actually had food, water, and clothing? That in and of itself would be a tremendous move for the kingdom of God coming on the earth because God created each one of us. Each person is created by God and is loved by God and Jesus died for them. So there aren't strings attached. That's what I'm trying to convey here is Jesus loves people because he made them and he died for them. Now, it's tr we're not saying that people will not go to hell if they don't receive Jesus. They certainly will. But it says in the scripture that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. That God cares for the righteous and the unrighteous. And that is to be our witness to other people. And as they see that, that love turns their heart. Because many people have never honestly been loved in their life. They grew up in a family that was sarcastic or abusive, and then from that, they just continued to form relationships that were essentially the same as what they experienced as a child. And so for someone to come in who doesn't have any agenda except honestly wanting what's best for them, you have to actually want what's in the person's best interest. That's a big part of compassion as we talk about it is you're not trying to get them to do something but you just genuinely want what's best for them and that includes the salvation of their soul but it also includes temporal needs and so we come and love in the name of Jesus and if you'd like to be a part of all of this it's exciting it's powerful you are welcome let me give you a phone number, 703-489-1785. That's our cell number. You're welcome to call. If you call, you can find out more about the National Prayer Chapel and about what we're doing with prayer and ministering to the lost and loving people. If that's attractive to you, and you want to explore that life, then call 703-489-1785. We have about a minute and a half left in this broadcast. 
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We are Alexandra and Ray Greenlee. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Please visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message again, as well as past messages. You can make a donation. You can email us. You can find our phone number. Everything's on the website. And, and, we, and we would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for National Prayer Chapel. We would love to hear from you. If, even if you don't want to or you don't have enough money to make a donation, we'd love to just hear from you and how this broadcast has helped you. And this is a faith broadcast. It's moved by love. And we pray that you will step in and help us as generously as you can to reach this city of Washington, D.C. with the gospel. God bless you as you give. And God bless you. Join us again tomorrow from 1 to 2 p.m. for another episode of Pilgrim's Progress. We'll talk to you soon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.